And we know that the Bible is more, there, there are rules and commands in there for us to obey, but we also know that the Bible is more, uh, is more than just a, a list of rules. I would say that the bigger thing that we struggle with, or maybe equal, is that many of us treat the Bible like it's a list of suggestions, right? Yeah, nobody laughs when I say that one, right? We love suggestions. You love suggestions. I love suggestions, right? We love them because we can take them or we can leave them, right? It's not anything we have to do. If they feel right for us, we take them. If we feel funny about them, we don't have to. Why? Because they're just suggestions, right? Suggestions, they keep us in the driver's seat, don't they? They keep us in control, right? It's kind of like your, your GPS on, on your iPhone. Um, man, you have multiple ways to get to the same place. But man, it's not telling you which one to click on. It's giving you a choice of how you want to get to the desired destination. And so when it comes to living out what we're going to look at today, which is being doers of God's word, we're called to this super unpopular and super uncomfortable word called obedience. All right? Like when Jesus says, here's an example, we are to love our neighbor. He's not saying like, you know, just think about it. Give it some thought. Come back to me later. Tell me what you think. And we can tweak with it a little bit, right? Now, there's many ways to love our neighbor, but there's never any option in the Bible to not love our neighbor. To not love your neighbor would be treating God and his word like he's just this writer of a good advice column, but not the creator of the universe whose words need to be taken seriously and certainly more serious than just being suggestions, good suggestions for our life. But one of the most beautiful and life-giving things, hopefully we're going to see this this morning, about the gospel is that our relationship with Jesus is not, listen, not with a person who moves aggressively towards you and shouts, did you do it? Jesus moves affectionately toward you. And he says, do you love me? John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's kind of like uh, the story of Peter in, in uh, the gospel of John chapter 21. Remember this famous interaction that Jesus has after his resurrection with Peter when he asks him three times. What does he ask Peter? He says, Pete, do you love me? Peter says all three times, Jesus, you know that I do. And then what does Jesus gently reply but feed my sheep then? Feed my sheep. Peter's just spent all night in a boat doing what he used to formerly do before God called him, which was catch fish. He was a fisherman. But Jesus had called Peter out of fishing to be a follower of him. And again, it's not that Peter was forbidden to fish ever again. It's just not primarily who he was anymore. His new call was to live out his love for Jesus by being a fisher of men's souls. So hearing the words of Jesus to feed my sheep was important, but it wasn't the only step Peter had to take. He wasn't able just to hear Jesus say, feed my sheep and say, great, I'm heading back out on the boat to catch some. It's a wonderful thing when your kids or your students or your employees 
hear what you're saying. But it means nothing if they don't do what you say, right? Like you feel heard when your kid hears you say, clean your room, right? But you feel unloved when they don't actually clean it. So we come to James this morning where he describes two categories of church people for us. And there are these two categories, hearers who forget and doers who act. Let's pick up in verse 22. This is what it says. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like or what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's God's word for us. So the first thing we're going to look at is the absurdity of a hearer who forgets. And by the way, and first off, hearing is, is good. Hearing is a good thing. We, we have to hear. Romans 10, 17 reminds us faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. What James emphasizes for us here is that if you're only a hearer of God's word, then you are someone who isn't living out their love for Jesus in obedience to his words. James is showing us the absurdity of being a hearer who forgets by comparing it with someone who looks at themselves intently in the mirror. Now, back in this time, mirrors lacked some of the clarity that we have because they weren't made of glass. They were typically fashioned from bronze or maybe gold or maybe silver, but they weren't sort of the crystal clear imaging that we get today. You would need to look intently at the mirror to get an accurate picture of what your, your eyes were looking like or what your mouth or what your ears, or what your hair, your blemishes were looking like. All the good, all the bad, all the ugly. You need to spend some time looking to see what the image was playing back to you, right? But imagine doing that and then walking away from this just intense study of yourself and then having no recollection at all of what you looked like, right? Kind of like standing in front of the mirror after a lunch when you got like the ketchup in the mustard around your face, and then just going, huh, and just going, okay, and then walking away, and somebody saying, hey, you got ketchup all over your face, brother. Oh, I forgot. I just was studying myself intently in the mirror. Like James is trying to point out like just the absurdity of that, walking away from an intense study of yourself and having no recollection of what you look like. It would be inconceivable. Just like it would be inconceivable that someone would take a photo of you, send it to you, and you were like, can you tell me who the person in that photo is? James is giving us an illustration to show us the ridiculousness, the lack of logic of the person who hears the life-changing word of God but walks away completely unchanged in their actions. And all of that makes sense to us, except for the fact that the church is filled with hearers only. But is hearing enough? Is it enough to just be able to 
hear the pastor? Is it enough to just read the Bible, to memorize scripture, to sing songs of praise, or to describe to someone, hey, these are the people that I gather with every Sunday. Let me tell you something about them. By the way, these are all good things. But these good things don't mean you're actually living out the very words of Jesus because of the love that has been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit for Jesus. Man, I remember Melissa and I, we, we just, I don't know, we had a momentary loss of you know, reason about four years ago and we bought cross-country skis. And um, it feels like it snowed like three days since we bought those skis. And I remember the first year we had this really thick snow and we went and got cross-country ski lessons. Um, one of the most memorable and humiliating moments of my life and painful. Um, and then the next year we were like, well, at least we know how to ski, but look, it only snowed one day. And I think the next couple of years we had so little snow, at least that's what I wanted her to believe um, on those mornings where it snowed and I'd pull the blinds shut so that she didn't bring me back out there uh, to use our cross-country skis. So we have all of this cross-country ski equipment that's just nicely tucked into the corner of our garage being unused. Again, not sad about that necessarily. Um, but we bought those skis to ski. And we haven't used those skis to ski. And to tell you right now, which I would like to be able to tell you, that I, Ronnie Martin, am pastor slash cross-country skier, it's just not something I'm able to do, right? I got the equipment. I don't know how to ski. God's word, listen, is like a mirror for us. It reveals to you who you are. It reveals to you who Jesus is and how deeply he has changed and is changing you. So for your friends and your coworkers, in your community group, in your classmates, in your fellow church members, in your neighbors, to remain completely unaffected by this inner transformation that has occurred in your heart means you're only receiving God as information instead of transformation. James is saying this is absurdity for you to be a hearer of God's word only. But then he contrasts it with the blessing, not just the, the absurdity of a, of a hearer who forgets, but the blessing of a doer who acts. A doer who acts. It says in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. One of the things that I really love to do, Melissa and I like to go to restaurants sometimes, and I love looking at the menus beforehand. Man, I love just perusing uh, the menu and just seeing what they have, what the possibilities are. Never once have I looked at a menu and then looked at Melissa and said, you know, we don't need to go there. I'm good. Looking at the menu was enough. Just to look at the food, just to see what they offered. I feel like I'm already full. Let's just stay home tonight, man, and have pretzels. Like, I'm good. I mean, that's never happened to me once. It's not enough to just look at the menu. I want to eat what's on the menu. But sometimes we sort of view God's word 
like this. Like it's something just for us to look at instead of something for us to partake of. Because we see the Bible as laws, right? And the Bible does have laws. Laws tell us what to do. They also tell us what happens when we don't obey them. Now, God's law in the Old Testament is the same way. We think of the Ten Commandments. They tell us God's law. They tell us that we are required to keep those laws perfectly. The problem is that we were never going to keep those laws perfectly. That's due to our fallen condition. We can't. Maybe you came from a faith tradition that said, man, I just got to keep the law. And when I don't keep it, man, I'm in trouble. Well, well, that's true. You are in trouble because you can't keep the law, but nothing's going to happen in this life within your own power that's going to allow you to keep them to a degree that God looks down and goes, we're cool. That's not what happens, right? So Jesus comes along and what does he do? He keeps those laws perfectly in our place. He didn't do it so that we wouldn't have to keep God's laws anymore, but so that when we fail to keep God's laws, we have Jesus who kept them in our place. We have grace, mercy, forgiveness, and peace with God. That's why Jesus himself, what James is saying here when he mentions the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's why that's who he's talking about. The law of liberty, the perfect law, that's Jesus who kept the laws perfectly so that we would have that kind of liberty and freedom. If the Christian life for you is defined as a bunch of laws to keep, then Christ died for nothing. What's the point? The Christian life in actuality is defined as a person who kept those laws perfectly for us so that we're not cast into condemnation when we don't. Listen, when you have that kind of freedom given to you by Christ, you know what happens? You're able to pursue obedience without the crushing weight of guilt anymore. You're able to be a doer of the word in the fullest sense of the word. You are able to act out the miracle that is yours and mine's rebirth. Because two things happen if you're a reborn person. Number one, when you fail, God is still faithful. He's faithful to forgive. Two, when you don't even try to obey God's word, God is still trustworthy. Isn't that amazing? When you don't even try God is still trustworthy. Three, when you purposely, when you go out of your way, when you wake up in the morning and say, gonna break that command today. I'm gonna break that command. He purposely breaks down your pride and he pulls you back from the brink of despair when you realize what you've done. He pulls you into his arms of forgiveness and repentance. See, A hearer of the word only descends and he descends into a fog of forgetfulness and fear. A doer of the word is pulled into the happy arms of a heavenly father who holds you with compassion and care. That's the blessing. That's the blessing 
that James is talking about at the end of verse 25. It's that we get to do because of what Jesus has done. We don't just look at the menu. We order and we eat and the bill, well, that's been paid. There it is right there for us. So how do we make that shift? It's easy to read this and go, cool. How do we make the shift from hearer to doer? Well, here's the first baseline thing. The first baseline thing has to be that we are loving and treasuring Jesus. Baseline, right? Love is the baseline for any relationship that is going to be a flourishing relationship or a flourishing friendship or a flourishing marriage. A loveless relationship of any kind, it's kind of like running a marathon without water, right? Eventually, I mean, you're going to be running, you're going to look like you're running, but eventually you're going to dehydrate. So a baseline for us, not simply being hearers only who forget, but doers who act, is that we need to be loving and treasuring Jesus, the one who paid it all, the one whom we can say, it's done, it is finished. All of those demands on us to keep the law perfectly. I could never do it, now I don't have to because I put my trust in Jesus Christ. That is the message of salvation if you've been holding back on that. Just putting your trust that Jesus kept those laws perfectly so that you can find life in him. And so that when you go out to keep those laws, it's based on that loving and that treasuring of Jesus. What a great thing to do something for somebody because you love them rather than you feel obligated to them. Now, Zach and Jillian Watson, they, they moved just about a mile away from their house yesterday and they, they just had a small crew show up. Maybe a couple of you helped them move their house. And there was just such a joy, right? Because we, we wanted to help them. The Watsons have helped so many people. It was a joy to help them. It was a joy, kind of, to carry those really heavy boxes up the stairs from their basement, right? Why was it a joy? Because some of us love the Watsons, right? It was a joy to help them, to act, to do. John 14, 21 Jesus says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's the blessing. Is that as we act in faith, the miracle of our rebirth, as we love and treasure Jesus, we are going to know more of his love and the love of the father that has been manifested through him and now is being showered upon us. Second, how does this hearer to doer thing take place? Well, we love and treasure Jesus. Secondly, it's about knowing and growing in God's word. Without knowing and growing in God's word, our doing, it's just going to descend into pragmatism and legalism, right? God's word serves as a mirror to our hearts and our consciences. So something happens when we read God's word, when we get to know God through his word, which is the way he's given us to know who God is, 
right? When God's word, when it's not regularly reading us, right? So when we read God's word, God's word reads us. And when that's not regularly happening, we will simply decide to obey when it's convenient or when we feel like we're being true to ourselves. I'm I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to do this over here, right? Because this fits more with who I am. I got to be true to myself. How many times you wrongly said that to yourself, right? God's word doesn't make those distinctions, right? Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. The priest and the Levite, they walk by the Samaritan, this kind of enemy of theirs, laying on the road, he's half dead. This priest, he thought he had justifiable reasoning for not helping this man. He thought his reasoning was solid. To touch this man in the state he was in, given the person he was, would have made him unclean before the Lord. And in terms of his priestly order, he would have had to do all these things to purify himself. He was a priest. He passed by somebody. He made a value judgment, not based on God's commands, but based on what he felt was right for him at the time. I mean, hey, do we say this priest was somebody who had never helped someone before? Of course not. But if he would have known God's word, he would have known what God had to say about helping strangers and sojourners. There were, there were actually very specific commands that this brother would have known about what his obligation was when he saw a Samaritan, however much he despised this dude laying half dead on the road. But he didn't do that. If he would have known God's word, if God's word would have been reading him regularly, he would have felt conviction about leaving someone to die just because he had social and religious disagreements with them. We need to let God's word get in our hearts and do that kind of spiritual surgery that transforms us from hearers to doers, which, by the way, includes dying. Includes dying to ourselves. To be a doer means that we are daily laying down our rights for the better of somebody else, for the glory of Christ. Hard to do that right now, isn't it? It's really hard for us to do that right now. It turns out we're all a little more pro-choice than we thought we were. We want what we want. We want to do what we want to do. We don't want people telling us what to do. And yet the Bible says, oh, well, that's not the way of Christ. We lay down our rights for the better of the community and the people that God has placed us with. Why on earth should we do that? Because Jesus did it for us with a deep love that has now been poured into our hearts that allows us to do that with a measure of joy and blessing as the result of it. It's not that you have to do it. It's that you get to do it. And the getting to do it is like a have to do it, right? Like as soon as you don't have to do something, but you get to do something, it makes you want to have to do it. Why? Because you know this is the thing that is going to give you joy and peace and blessing from God. 
the third thing, making this shift from hearer to doer, is we want to be embracing and embodying his grace. So here we are, the American church, owning all these Bibles, hearing all these podcasts. I do some of them. Reading all these books, attending all these Bible studies. So much hearing. And we need to hear. But some of us think that is the call of the Christian life. So we look in the mirror, we walk away and we forget who we are. We forget what we've been given. We forget the person we've been transformed into. So we need to daily embrace and embody the grace, the unmerited favor that Jesus has by saving us, when he saved us, of Jesus Christ, so that we accomplish the good he's given to us in his word. Here's what grace gives us, okay? Number one, grace gives you the courage when you shrink back in fear from being a doer, because doer and doing, being a doer and doing is, is risky. It can be risky. It's much easier to stand back and just say, man, cross-country skis, I'm a skier. Much easier. Let me tell you, much easier. But grace, this unmerited favor in the fact that Jesus chose you to be his son or daughter through no effort of your own, it gives you courage when normally you'd shrink back in fear. Number two, it gives you the comfort of knowing that when you fail to live out God's commands and obey him. God is still faithful because it was never dependent on you, brother and sister. He remains faithful. And number three, grace moves you to live and die for Jesus because he lived and he died for you. The motivation, it shifts dramatically. A transformed heart, James is saying, leads to transformed hands. And when our heart is changed by God to love Jesus, who fulfilled the law perfectly for our freedom, we are then at liberty to act according to all God commanded with the freedom that grace provides. It's really the best news that ever was for us. And then James finishes by saying there's a blessing for those who are doers who act, meaning we will experience the happiness of Jesus when we become doers of the words that Jesus gave that leads to that happiness and that joy. John 13, 17, Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Maybe we don't take that very seriously. Imagine the joy, the happiness, the lightness, the comfort you'll experience when you obey God's word over your own words whispering to you. When the voice of Jesus becomes louder than the voice in your own head and heart louder than the words that continually cycle through your brain, coming from you, coming from out there. Words that, by the way, can seem right and can feel right, but always end in fear, always end in anxiety, always end in discontent, 
always end in disorder. And you know what? We all experience those negative side effects if we are merely hearers only and we obey the voice of our own heart rather than the voice of God's heart. Instead, we have a better way from James. We press into the promise and the blessing of being doers of the word, understanding from 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Messages like this are hard. They're hard for me because we are a church that preaches grace very heavily. And then we get a passage like this through James where grace is more implied, right? It's the underlying feature. But James, in fact, is saying it's absurd for you as the church to simply hear God's word and have it produce no inner transformation that motivates you to then act on it. So I'm gonna end today with that implied grace, even though it's not very implied, we just talked about it by saying this, we need to obey God's word. We need to walk away today hearing something that happened in the last 30 minutes and say, I will act on that. I will be in obedience to the inner transformation that has taken place in my heart because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I'm free to do that and I am free to screw it up. See, I can't even, I can't even walk away from grace. But we will be motivated to go out and to obey his commands. That is the call of the church. If we do not do this, what difference does the world see in us but just people that talk about what's right and affirm what's good but have no intention of living it out? That is the tragedy of the modern church. Let's not be so like that.